Good morning. If you will, if you would go ahead and you can turn your Bibles uh, to the sixth chapter of Romans, and we'll get started this morning. Hippophora. That's kind of what I expected. <laughs> I, I can almost hear the wheels turning, and most of your minds are like, uh, Hippo, what? What did he say? Uh, don't feel bad if that word isn't immediately familiar. Neither Webster's nor Dictionary.com have a listing, but according to Ultius.com, Hippophora is a figure of speech wherein a writer raises a question and then immediately answers it. It differs from a rhetorical question in that a rhetorical question is not ever intended to be answered in the first place. Now, this literary technique has been used in a variety of applications, uh, from famous speeches from the likes of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and John F. Kennedy to writers like William Shakespeare and E.B. Cummings. Now, in her book, Charlotte's Web, E.B. Cummings' character, Charlotte, responds to a question concerning her unmerited kindness towards Wilbur the pig, and it provides for the reader an excellent example of Hippophora, as well as a wonderful message on making the most of life. So we'll pick it up with, uh, you know, Charlotte the Spider here. After all, what's a life anyway? We're born, we live a little while, and we die. A spider's life can't help being something of a mess with all this trapping and eating flies. By helping you... Perhaps I was trying to lift up my life a trifle. Heaven knows anyone's life can stand a little of that. Yes, Charlotte, I think all of us in this room could stand a little bit of that. Good attorneys will often employ Hippophora asking and responding to their opposing counsel's questions before they ask them. In fact, we've seen the Apostle Paul do exactly that back in Romans 3.27 when he asks, then what becomes of our boasting? So he asks the question, it is excluded, an immediate answer. By what kind of law? By a law of work? Again, questions? No, but by the law of faith, an immediate response. It's a, a great example of Hippophora. So as we continue our series this week, Paul is once again going to employ Hippophora. And uh, as we consider Romans 6, the other side of salvation, we're titling this uh, Dead to Sin and Alive to Christ. So uh, we'll begin with the question, so you can kind of pick things up. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and, and, and here we go. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So the, the first five chapters of Romans we've gone through where Paul has shown us we're God's position, shown us our position, uh, shown us, demonstrated to us that uh, by our works alone we cannot earn salvation, but that we are saved exclusively by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That we're saved by grace. And, and, and Paul, uh, sensing, you know, his, his audience, right? These are the Pharisees, Jewish rulers, guys that were trying to, to do the right thing, to earn their way to heaven. And he's like, These, this is the question they're going to ask then, right? Uh, he's, he's presupposing their question. He says, what, what are we going to say? Are we to sin more then 
so that grace will be more. And Paul immediately answers the question. He gives us the answer. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So he's presented the question. He's given us the answer. And now he's going to spend the rest of our passage today through verse 14 elaborating on that answer, explaining how this works. And so he begins building his case. He's, he's made his claim, now he's going to build his case, and he's going to start with baptism. All right, so we'll, we'll pick this thing up. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 4, and this is what he says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And I love this phrase. You've got to catch it right there at the beginning. He says, do you not know? Paul just, he takes it for granted. Do you understand? He's, he's just taking it for granted that as a Christian, this is like Christianity 101. Like, do you not know? This is the basic stuff. This is all, and he takes it for granted. This is what he says. Uh, first, that all Christians, all Christians understand that baptism identifies the believer with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul takes it for granted. When we do that, that beautiful symbol, you, you know, as you're, 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 the death and the resurrection, you guys will hear every one of the preachers point that out here at this church for sure. He also, he takes it for granted. Not only that all Christians understand that baptism identifies them with the death and resurrection, but that all Christians, that every last Christian will be baptized. He just takes it for granted. Uh, I love what F.F. F. Bruce says, theologian here. He says, from this and other references to baptism in Paul's writing, it is plain that he did not regard baptisms as an optional extra in the Christian life. Like it was uh, some a la carte menu. Well, for me, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. That's not what he says at all. And, 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 and so the question becomes, I can, I can almost hear because I've heard it. John's heard it. Everybody's heard this question. But wait a minute, Sean. What about the thief on the cross? And with 100% of the time that I've heard that question, what about the guy on death row? 100%, without exception, every single time I've heard that question, the person that has asked me that question is neither nailed to a cross nor on death row. So if you, in fact, if that is you, if you are nailed to a cross and you're on death row, then yes, I, Jesus has clearly shown us some stuff here. But if that's not you and that's not your story, you're all here today, so that's definitely not anyone in this room's story. Jesus says get baptized. It's such an important deal that when he gives this great commission, he says, go out into the world. I want you to proclaim the gospel, teaching them all the things, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the marching orders for us as Christians. He says, get baptized. And I love why. Again, we're identifying, we're publicly declaring this thing that has happened in our life, and we're identifying with the death and resurrection. And, and you know, I, 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 Sam's here. 
He was here. And he says, Sean, I'm not sure that you don't spend half your week looking for, like, pictures to go with your sermon. And he's not like totally in left field there, you know. There's a l- little bit of thought that goes with it. And as I'm, I'm going through, I come across this one. I just like this picture. But it was less about the, the picture and the graphic and, and the, 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 but all, all things made new. And it, it, it got me to thinking, you know. Uh, and I just, okay, uh, Paul says this. Well, what is Jesus what does Jesus say? And we go back to John chapter 3, and there's this old man. All right, he's a, he's a pretty, pretty bright old man. He's a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, this guy's well-respected. He's well-learned, and he sees uh, this Jesus doing amazing things in his community. And he says, look, uh, nobody can do what you're doing unless God sent you. And, well, we'll, we'll pick up Jesus' response right now. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And you can hear in Nicodemus' response, can a guy just be, go back to his mom's womb? Like, he's thinking in the flesh. He's thinking in the, in the natural. And she, no, 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 no. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And we get this, this picture that God is making something new. Even an old man like Nicodemus is being made new. We're being made new. And, and we go back to our question, can a man uh, remain in sin? Is that what a Christian's call? And, and, and the answer is no, no, by no means. Why, though? Because we've been made, that we might walk in newness of life. And so baptism is this, this picture he begins building his case on. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on building his case. He says, we, we, are, we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. We'll pick it up. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him, hang on to that, we're united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ. It's a lot of words, but he starts off with this phrase, we have been united with him, that is Jesus Christ. Now, that's great in the English language, but man, it's really, really neat, really neat in the Greek language. It's, it's this phrase, and really what it is, it's, it's like the picture of this, of this, this grapevine, and this has been grafted in, all right? You got to understand, this little branch has been grafted in to the base, 
in a union, all right, this union that we're talking about where that little branch, it depends. Everything that, that, that keeps this little branch going is in that branch, and it's this intimate union in Christ. It is the picture being painted, and, and for some of you in this room, like you already got a light bulb going off. You're like, whoa, 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 I read that somewhere, and you're right. You, you definitely did. In John, back to Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says this. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like that, that little vine, if I, if I trim that little vine from the, the source, it's dead, it's useless. And Jesus says, apart from me, apart from that union in Christ, you can do nothing. But you understand what that means conversely. In that union, connected to the vine, there's some stuff we can do. There is some stuff. There is some life. And we get this, this picture in this passage of, of slavery. Apart from Christ, we're slaves to sin. And I was thinking through this week, how, you know, how, do, you, how do you go? And, you know, it's funny how God works. You know, we had a, a pretty crazy night Wednesday night at 2.12. Uh, we went up to the park to play some volleyball, had a, you know, having a good time and, and uh, whatever, right there on the volleyball courts. And we're going and we're going and it's, it's awesome. And then there's about a, you know, a 20-year-old guy comes rolling up in his bike, strung out on drugs. You know, and, and it, was, it was pretty obvious. And then here comes these, these two dudes, uh, mid-20s, strung out on drugs. I mean, it's just written all over them. I, whatever, man. I, I grew up in Franklin County my whole life. I, you know, it's, it's not hard to figure out. And uh, these two guys on this bike jump off and start beating up the other guy right, right in the middle of what we're doing. And... Uh, Scary thing, but and you just kind of wonder how when you're a little kid, when you're in kindergarten, your teacher says, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" I wouldn't say that that was on their list. Enslaved to sin, do you understand? Now they made choices; they had freedom to make choices, but their choices were what? <laughs> I'm going to keep sinning. I'm going to keep. Sin. If you've been around a pathological liar. Understand, that pathological liar has the ability to choose to lie or not to lie theoretically. All right, theoretically, it's, it's, it's true. But what do they choose time and time again? What does the drug addict choose time and time again? Uh, what do we, cho we choose to sin? We are slaves to sin. And for many of us in this room, we, uh, we can look back and we can remember times you know, maybe it don't look as dramatic as, the, as, as, as a heroin addict. It may not look that way for you. It may look something different. But we can all remember times where we were enslaved, enslaved to sin. And he goes on, he continues, and he's, he's building this case how Jesus Christ died, and he's set free, so then we're set free. And, and, and Paul says, look, Romans 6, chapter 11, you also must consider, some of your Bibles will say reckon. 
yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. This is a, a particular word. In other words, we're going to have a couple little Greek things today. And it's logazamaya, and it's to reckon to count, to compute. It's like an accounting term uh, that by reckoning up all the reasons, you can gather or infer. In other words, when I look at what Jesus did for me and I'm in him, then I can infer that I am free from this. Even if the circumstances in the moment may not quite, no, no, reckon yourself. I want you to consider this, that I am free from the weight. I am free from the chains of sin. I have a power to make a choice here that is different that I didn't have before in Christ Jesus. In Christ, in that union. That based on what Christ has done for me, sin no longer has authority. I'm no longer enslaved to sin any longer. It's awesome. It's awesome news. Set free. And I can hear some of you even now. You aren't going to say it out loud. But wait a minute, Sean. <laughs> I'm free from sin? I'm free? Really? Is that, is that what you're going with? Because I look at the guy in the mirror and he messes up all the time. What, is, what are you saying here? And we got an answer for this. We go back to the original question. Original question. Romans 6.1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now that, that, that continue in, it's, a, it's another fascinating word. Epimeno. It's in the a present active tense. And it, it really what it means is to make a, a practice. All right? A practice of habitual sin. We hear that word practice, and, and for some people, this is, this is where my brain goes. I, here, there we go. We got Steph Curry up there. Arguably the greatest shooter basketball's ever seen. And when that guy goes up to shoot a free throw, it is not like random chance that he made that thing. When he shoots from the other side of the half-court line and it swishes and he does that 3, 10, 15 times in a game, it's not an accident. You understand, that guy has practiced. He has shot them shots hundreds of thousands, if not a million times. He practiced. He pursued. He trained his body for that. And that, what are you training? You know, we, we think about it in terms of a doctor. Nobody wants uh, the heart surgeon that just graduated med school. That's not the guy. All right, or the, or the lady. That's not the one we want. We want the doctor that has spent years in practice, all right, that has perfected their art, that has desired to grow and, and, and force themselves in. And, and, and when we look at what that, it's, it's your habitual practice. What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing Jesus Christ? You may stumble and fall pursuing Jesus Christ and have to get up and ask forgiveness and dust yourself off and keep going after Christ. That, that happens. I can, you know, be out and I can smash my finger with a, with a hammer and I can, I've gotten better. I don't say it, but I can think things that I probably shouldn't think and I need to ask forgiveness for, all right? But it's still there, right? But I'm not, like, practicing to do that. I still sin. But there's a difference between that and getting up in the morning and trying to figure out how to rob my neighbor. Trying to hide what's on my phone so my wife don't see it. Trying to hide that relationship. Trying to figure out how I don't have to pay taxes to the IRS. 
There is a difference between sinning when I hit my finger and I wake up in the morning pursuing sin, making that my practice, my habit, what I am chasing. I can't chase that and chase Jesus. Do you understand? That is what Paul is dealing with here. So the question is then, what is your practice? What is your habit? Paul continues, Romans 6, 12-14. He says, Let not sin, therefore, in other words, because of what Christ has done, because of these truths, because in Christ, attached to the vine, because you've reckoned yourself dead, he says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You get this word passions. It's epithemia, a craving, a longing, a lust. But this is how I really like how Strong defines it. A desire for what is forbidden. You know that desire, right? You know? You can't have a cookie in the cookie jar. And what do you want? You want that cookie. Oh, if I cross that line there, I, I go to hell. But I want to get as close to that line as I can get. Is that a sin, Sean? If I get a little can, It's passion. Driven, man. Driven like that little kid. I guess I just got to get that cookie. I got to get that cookie. We're not to be driven like that. Or, or the, like an animal. Look, I love the smile on the dog's face. You know. I've been that dog and so have you. Driven. Driven by our passions and as much as that kid's going to get the, uh, the consequences, right, of eating too many cookies. You get that upset belly and you, you don't like that. So, you know, we deal with the consequences of being driven by our passions. He says, look, that's not for you. You're not to be driven by your passions. That, in fact, there were times in our lives where, yes, we were just, we were all that kid. But empowered by Christ, you and I, as Christians, connected in that union, connected to the vine, we have the power to choose. We are no longer slaves. We have the power to choose differently. We get that, that picture. I love that picture, man. We depend on him. And empowered by him, we don't. I love how David Guzik puts it, Pastor. In Jesus, we are truly set free and are offered the opportunity to obey the natural inclination of the new man, not the old man, the new man that God has created in our heart, which wants to please God and honor him. We are set free. We can make a different, a different choice. That empowered by Christ, we've been transformed. Again, we have been made new. It's amazing. It's amazing. And again, in Christ. I just I, you gotta get it. Connected to Him. Apart from Him, that's not for you. But in Him, we are. It's amazing. And, and look, he tells us about this, not just, not just here. We're gonna go way back guy named Ezekiel, a prophet. 
and listen to what he says. And you've got to understand, he's, he's telling this to Israel as, as they are like facing judgment. He's telling them of a time that's going to come. And for you and I, this is a time that's now. It's like, it's like a time that's already taken place that we get to be a part of. But I want you to hear it. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. And this is our picture. This is us attached to the vine. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's going to give us a brand new heart. A brand new heart. A heart of flesh that actually wants to please God. Do you understand? Like there was a time in my life where the idea of pleasing God was not even in my thought process at all. At best, I might try to please somebody because it worked out good for me. I want to make Chad happy because Chad will give me $10 when I need $10. It was all selfish. It was all about me. It was all sinful even when I tried to make it look good. He makes a new heart in us. And yeah, I actually care. I get talking earlier, how many times we sat in the office. Well, what's the right thing to do here? We just want to do the right thing. Or, or talk to my wife, babe, I, I need wisdom here. I just, I want to do the right thing. It's not because I'm great. It's because he's great. And he puts that, he's changing our heart on the inside. And again, the wheel's turning. But wait, wait a minute, Sean. You're not getting it. I still look in the mirror and that guy is still sinning. I, I, I still sin. And, and, and oh, golly, I, I still, my husband drives me crazy. And, and I, I, what is going on here? I'm still dealing with sin. Now, you guys all know, I mean, most of you guys know I am like a hillbilly. Like, I, I really love the outdoors. I love uh, natural revelation is the fancy theological word, okay? I love that I can look at the world around me and I can see glimpses, little traits of God. And so as I, I thought this week about how to, how to really seal this, how to really paint this picture, I thought of two things, two pictures from natural revelation. I thought of a pig and I thought of a cat. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, yeah. Now, let me tell you a little bit about pigs. That pig right there, that pig could live its entire life right there. It's at home in the mud. It's at home in the mire. It, it's super happy right there, and quite frankly, it doesn't see any reason to change its location. That's where a pig belongs. As long as you kept throwing food in there, that pig is going to stay right where he's at, and he's going to be a happy little pig. That's the nature of pigs. It's just who they are. Now, this cat here, now understand, this cat, I mean, it can visit the pigsty. It can get in the mud, and it can get in the, in the mud puddle or whatever. It can go there. It could get some mud on it. But you understand, at some point, that little cat is going to go off to the side, and what's it going to do? It's going to start cleaning. It cannot stand 
to have mud all over it. It cannot stand it. It's just in its nature. All right? It doesn't that it can't get muddy. It can, and sometimes it does, but it has to get clean. It, it cannot stay there. Even if it could stay there for weeks or months, eventually it's going to come to its senses and it's going to clean itself. Are you kind of figuring it out? Are you starting to get the picture? I hope so. It, it, it's, th this one's not a hard one. We go back. What's the question? The question is, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And of course, the answer again, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I ain't a pig no more. I was a pig, and I didn't care. But Jesus Christ has made me new. I'm not a pig. I cannot stay there. I cannot stay there, and, and if you're a Christian, either can you. Not any more than that cat can walk around with mud all over it for the rest of it. It can't do it. It just can't do it. It's not your nature. God has made you new. So what's the point? What's the point? Why in the world does all this matter to me? Why does it matter? Well, for starters, I want us to consider, and I want you guys to stay with me here, what the writer of Hebrews has to say as he looks from the cross to the wise words of King Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He says, consider Christ here, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, time out. Did you guys hear that? In your struggle, the writer of Hebrews says, as he's writing to the church, church, you're going to have struggles against sin. Catch that. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No, be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Are you feeling conviction in your life? Have you been wrestling with sin? Have you been fighting to overcome the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that impede on your life? Well, then, praise the Lord. Do you hear me? Praise the Lord, because you bear the marks of a child of God, adopted son or daughter, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to praise the Lord, because I'll tell you, the rest of the world, they're pigs. They ain't struggling. Do you understand? If you are struggling, praise the Lord. It is a sign that you belong to him. Praise the Lord. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Rejoice in the promise. Listen to the promise of our Lord. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is a guarantee, an absolute promise. A promise that our Lord does not, will not, never could leave anything half done. He's not, began a good work, he's going to complete it in you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
praising for the good company. You're not in this alone. Uh, the crowd of witnesses surrounded us with in this fellowship. I love that word. I told first service, uh, there's this pastor, Ken Graves, really like him, got a big, deep voice, and he says, fellowship. Fellowship is two fellas in the same ship. <laughs> Real simple, right? But it's profound. I want you to think about it. Look around here. Your brothers and sisters of Christ, we are in fellowship together, and we are all struggling with the same things. Nobody's, like, we're all in the same boat. Do you get what I'm saying here? Praise God, man. We, we're not just out there, oh, man, they got it all perfect and I'm messed up. No, no, no. We all got it messed up. We're all in it together. Jesus is perfect. All right? Praise him for the crowd of witnesses he surrounded us with. Not just in the fellowship, but in his holy word. I want you to listen. Hear the words of Paul as he continues to point us to the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledge our insufficiency of our own efforts to make peace with God. I want you to hear his word. Listen. Indeed, I count everything. You got to understand, Paul's been making it. He says, look, you got some people that want to brag about good stuff they did. I've done lots of good stuff. I've, 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 I've won all the prizes. I've, I've memorized all the stuff. Like I'm, and it means nothing. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Did you guys catch what he just did? Again, here it is. Our identities united together with Christ. We get the vine united in Christ in his death and his resurrection. Right there. There it is again. And he continues. Not, listen, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. There's Paul saying, I'm not perfect. I sin. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards a goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything, listen to this, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He's going to convict you. That's what he's saying there. He's going to convict you, child of God. Do you understand what he's saying? Only let us hold true to what we have attained. In the past tense, to what we've attained. Let us, there it is again, reckon. Let us consider what Jesus has done. Let us, let us, Keep fighting. Keep pressing on towards the goal. So are, if you're in this room and you're feeling conviction in your life, have you been wrestling with sin, fighting to overcome the hurts and habits and hangups that impede your life and the lives of those around you? Well, praise the Lord and be encouraged because you bear the marks of a child of God. Praise the Lord. What if that's not you, though? What if that is not your story today? What if you are not fighting, 
What if you are not feeling the weight of conviction for the sinful passions that drive your life? What if you are as comfortable in the muck and mire of your rebellion against the Lord your God as a pig wallowing away its days in the pig pen? What if that's your story? The Lord uses a phrase, a metaphor, a word picture to help us understand the eminence of his return. In fact, he uses this phrase five different times, but we're only going to look at one example. Just one. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He's coming. Do you understand? Jesus is coming and he's coming like a thief comes in the night. He's, he's coming in the night with no warning, with no apologies, with no mercy, not for any of those who have refused his call, who have chosen the pigsty and the chains and the fleeting pleasures of sin rather than freedom in Christ. There will be no running. There will be no hiding. Now you may be able to sit here today with a smile, a mask, and you may fake each and every person in this room out. You could do that today. But on that day, all will be exposed. You will stare into the fiery eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ and fakeness will be no more. No more. Only judgment and darkness, bitter anguish and pain for all of eternity. To the pig wallowing in the mud, I say repent. Repent now. Repent right now before it's too late. You are not guaranteed another breath, let alone another day. You need to repent before the time of repentance is done. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your love, and your mercy, and your grace in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that you would, you would send your Son to set us free, to make us new, to give us life, life abundant, life eternal in your presence, Lord, to wash us clean from the inside out. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement for knowing that even as we, we are being in the process of sanctification, we're being washed. Lord, that you are, you don't leave anything halfway done. You will bring it to completion, Lord, and for that we can stand encouraged. We can stand encouraged knowing it's not just us running this race, that we're running through it together, Lord. But if there is even one person in this room, even one, who's been living a life in the sty, content as could be, and maybe for the very first time, they are feeling the weight of your conviction. Father God, I pray that you would call them to repentance, that you would just breathe life into them, that they would, they would make their decision while today is today, 
and that they would give their hearts to you, that they would respond in faith to your call to salvation in Christ Jesus alone. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this day and for those around us, Lord, who are, are wallowing in the mud. Lord, help us to point them to you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.